Hello. Before we begin, a quick note. The Boy to Sleep podcast relies on you and sponsors, which means you will hear a quick advertisement before the beginning of tonight's episode. While the podcast is free, you are welcome to subscribe for just $2.99 per month, which supports the creation of this podcast and gives you an ad-free listening experience. Simply click the link in the show notes from your podcast app. Rest easy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight's reading comes from A Treatise on Adulterations of Food and Culinary Poisons by Frederick Acum, published in 1820. It's surprising to hear about the ways in which food was adulterated in the early 1800s. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. The podcast is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. Thank you to everybody who shared their words of gratitude with me during the week. Firstly, a big thank you to listener Deborah Holmes for becoming a supporter on Anchor. Your monthly financial contribution is appreciated and allows me to bring out more episodes for those who need it. Thank you also to everybody who reached out on Instagram Thank you to Sarah Sheffer for your lovely story. I'm glad you find the podcast boring. And finally, thank you to iTunes listener Mercy96 for inspiring tonight's episode with your lovely review on iTunes. I hope you enjoyed the reading. Thank you to all patrons and sponsors who support the show financially with a monthly contribution. Whether it's $1 or $5, your support allows me to bring out more episodes to help those who need them. If you would like to sponsor the show because the podcast helps you fall asleep, please visit boytosleep.com. If I've missed any of your comments or messages, please send me a message through the website so I can say thank you to you personally. Your reviews and messages mean a great deal to me. For all other listeners out there who find the podcast beneficial, I have a favour to ask of you. Please leave a review and comment in iTunes, or leave the show a rating in Spotify. And if you're not already, please be sure to subscribe to the show. If you would like, you can say hello to me at Boy to Sleep 
boytosleep.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at boytosleep. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. A treatise on adulterations of food and culinary poisons. Of all the frauds practiced by mercenary dealers, there is none more reprehensible and at the same time more prevalent than the sophistication of the various articles of food. The unprincipled and nefarious practice, increasing in degree as it has been found difficult of detection, is now applied to almost every commodity which can be classed among either the necessaries or the luxuries of life, and is carried on to a most alarming extent in every part of the United Kingdom. It has been pursued by men who, from the magnitude and apparent respectability of their concerns, would be the least obnoxious to public suspicion, and their successful example has been called forth from among the retail dealers, a multitude of competitors in the same iniquitous course. To such perfection of ingenuity has this system of adulterating food arrived, that spurious articles of various kinds are everywhere to be found, made up so skillfully as to baffle the discrimination of the most experienced judges. Among the number of substances used in domestic economy, which are now very generally found sophisticated, may be distinguished. Tea, coffee, bread, beer, wine, spiritus liquors, salad oil, pepper, vinegar, mustard, cream, and other articles of substance. Indeed, it would be difficult to mention a single article of food which is not to be met with in an adulterated state, and there are some substances which are scarcely ever to be procured genuine. Some of these spurious compounds are comparatively harmless when used as foods, and as in these cases merely substances of inferior value are substituted for more costly and genuine ingredients. The sophistication, though it may affect our purse, does not injure our health. Of this kind are the manufacture of factitious pepper, the adulterations of mustard, vinegar, cream, etc. Others, however, are highly deleterious, and to this class belong the adulterations of beers, wines, spiritus liquors, pickles, salad oil, and many others. There are particular chemists who make it a regular trade to supply drugs or nefarious preparations to the unprincipled brewer of porter or ale. Others perform the same office to the wine and spirit merchants, and others again to the grocer and the oil man. The operators carry on their processes chiefly in secrecy, and under some delusive firm, 
with the ostensible denotements of a fair and lawful establishment. These illicit pursuits have assumed all the order and method of a regular trade. They may severally claim to be distinguished as an art and mystery, for the workmen employed in them are often wholly ignorant of the nature of the substances which pass through their hands, and of the purposes to which they are ultimately applied. To elude the vigilance of the inquisitive, to defeat the scrutiny of the revenue officer, and to ensure the secrecy of these mysteries, the processes are very ingenuously divided and subdivided among individual operators, and the manufacture is purposefully carried on in separate establishments. The task of proportioning the ingredients for use is assigned to one individual, while the composition and preparation of them may be said to form a distinct part of the business and is entrusted to another workman. Most of the articles are transmitted to the consumer in a disguised state or in such a form that their real nature cannot possibly be detected by the unwary. Thus the extract of Coccolus Indicus, employed by fraudulent manufacturers of malt liquors, to impart an intoxicating quality to porter or ales, is known in the market by the name of black extract ostensibly destined for the use of tanners and dyers. It is obtained by boiling the berries of the Coccolus indicus in water and converting by a subsequent evaporation this decotion into a stiff black tenacious mass, possessing in a high degree the narcotic and intoxicating quality of the poisonous berry from which it is prepared. Another substance composed of extract of quassia and licorice juice used by fraudulent brewers to economize both malt and hops is technically called maltum. The quantities of cocculus indicus berries as well as of black extract imported into this country for adulterating malt liquors is enormous. It forms a considerable branch of commerce in the hands of a few brokers, yet singular as it may seem, no inquiry appears to have been hitherto made by the officers of the revenue respecting its application. Many other substances employed in the adulteration of beer, ale, and spirituous liquors are in a similar manner intentionally disguised, and of the persons by whom they are purchased, a great number are totally unacquainted with their nature or composition. An extract said to be innocent, sold in casks, containing from half a quart to five quart by the brewer's druggists, under the name of bitten, is composed of calcined sulphate of iron, extract of cocculus indicus berries, extract of quassia, and Spanish licorice. 
it would be very easy to adduce in support of these remarks the testimony of numerous individuals by whom I have been professionally engaged to examine certain mixtures said to be perfectly innocent, which are used in very extensive manufactories of the above description. Indeed, during the long period devoted to the practice of my profession, I have had an abundant reason to be convinced that a vast number of dealers of the highest respectability have vended to their customers articles absolutely poisonous, which they themselves considered as harmless, and which they would not have offered for sale. For instance, I have known cases in which brandy merchants were not aware that the substance which they frequently purchase, under the delusive name of flash, for strengthening and clarifying spirituous liquors, and which is held out as consisting of burnt sugar and isinglass only, in the form of an extract is in reality a compound of sugar, with extract of capsicum, and that to the acrid and pungent qualities of the capsicum, is to be ascribed the heightened flavour of brandy and rum, when coloured with the above-mentioned matter. In other cases, the ale brewer has been supplied with ready-ground coriander seeds, previously mixed with a portion of quassia, to give a bitter taste and narcotic property to the beverage. The retail vendors of mustard do not appear to be aware that mustard seed alone cannot produce when ground a powder of so intense and brilliant a colour as that of the common mustard of commerce. Nor would the powder of real mustard, when mixed with salt and water, without the addition of a portion of pulverised capsicum, keep for so long a time as the mustard usually offered for sale. Many other instances of unconscious deceptions might be mentioned, which were practised by persons of upright and honourable minds. It is a painful reflection that the division of labour, which has been so instrumental in bringing the manufactures of this country to their present flourishing state, should have also tended to conceal and facilitate the fraudulent practices in question, and that from a correspondent ramification of commerce into a multitude of distinct branches, particularly in the metropolis and the large towns of the empire, the traffic in adulterated commodities should find its way through so many circuitous channels as to defy the most scrutinising endeavour to trace it to its source. It is not less lamentable that the extensive application of chemistry to the useful purposes of life should have been perverted into an auxiliary to this nefarious traffic, but happily for the science it may, without difficulty, be converted into a means of detecting the abuse, to effect which very little chemical skill is required, 
and the course to be pursued forms the object of the following pages. The baker asserts that he does not put a lamb into bread, but he is well aware that, in purchasing a certain quantity of flour, he must take a sack of sharp whites, a term given to flour contaminated with a quantity of a lamb, without which it would be impossible for him to produce light, white, and porous bread from a half-spoiled material. The wholesale mealman frequently purchases this spurious commodity in order to enable himself to sell his decayed and half-spoiled flour. Other individuals furnish the baker with a lump mixed up with salts under the obscure denomination of stuff. There are wholesale manufacturing chemists whose sole business is to crystallize a lump in such a form as will adapt this salt to the purpose of being mixed in a crystalline state with the crystals of common salt to disguise the character of the compound. The mixture called stuff is composed of one part of a lump in minute crystals and three of common salt. In many other trades, a similar mode of proceeding prevails. Potatoes are soaked in water to augment their weight. The practice of sophisticating the necessaries of life, being reduced to systematic regularity, is ranked by public opinion among other mercantile pursuits, and is not only regarded with less disgust than formerly, but is almost generally esteemed as a justifiable way to health. It is really astonishing that the penal law is not more effectually enforced against practices so inimical to the public welfare. The man who robs a fellow subject of a few shillings on the highway is sentenced to death while he who distributes a slow poison to the whole community escapes unpunished. It has been urged by some that under so vast a system of finance as that of Great Britain, it is expedient that the revenue should be collected in large amounts, and therefore that the severity of the law should be relaxed in favour of all mercantile concerns in proportion to their extent. Encouragement must be given to large capitalists, and where an extensive brewery or distillery yields an important contribution to the revenue, no strict scrutiny need be adopted in regard to the quality of the article from which such contribution is raised provided the excise do not suffer by the fraud. But the principles of the Constitution afford no sanction to this preference, and the true interests of the country require that it should be abolished, for a tax dependent upon deception must be at best precarious, and must be, sooner or later, diminished by the irresistible diffusion of knowledge. 
Sound policy requires that the law should be impartially enforced in all cases, and if its penalties were extended to abuses of which it does not now take cognizance, there is no doubt that the revenue would be abundantly benefited. Another species of fraud to which I shall at present but briefly advert, and which has increased to so alarming an extent, that it loudly calls for the interference of government, is the adulteration of drugs and medicines. Nine-tenths of the most potent drugs and chemical preparations used in pharmacy are vended in a sophisticated state by dealers who would be the last to be suspected. It is well known that of the article Peruvian bark, there is a variety of species inferior to the genuine, that too little discrimination is exercised by the collectors of this precious medicament, that it is carelessly assorted, and is frequently packed in green hides, that much of it arrives in Spain in a half-decayed state, mixed with fragments of other vegetables and various extraneous substances, and in this state is distributed throughout Europe. But as if this were not a sufficient deterioration, the public are often served with a spurious compound of mahogany sawdust and oak wood ground into powder mixed with a proportion of good coquina, and sold as genuine bark powder. Every chemist knows that there are mills constantly at work in this metropolis, which furnish bark powder at a much cheaper rate than the substance can be procured for in its natural state. The price of the best genuine bark upon an average, is not lower than 12 shillings the pound, but immense quantities of powder bark are supplied to the apothecaries at 3 or 4 shillings a pound. It is also notorious that there are manufacturers of spurious rhubarb powder, James's powder, and other simple and compound medicines of great potency, who carry on their diabolical trade on an amazingly large scale. Indeed, the quantity of medical preparations thus sophisticated exceeds belief. Cheapness and not genuineness and excellence is the grand desideratum with the unprincipled dealers in drugs and medicines. Those who are familiar with chemistry may easily convince themselves of the existence of fraud by subjecting to a chemical examination either spirits of hartshorn, magnesia, calcined magnesia, colomal, or any other chemical preparation in general demand. Spirit of hartshorn is counterfeited by mixing liquid caustic ammonia with the distilled spirit of hartshorn to increase the pungency of its odour, and to enable it to bear an addition of water. The fraud is detected by adding spirit of wine to the sophisticated spirit, for if no considerable coagulation ensues, the adulteration is proved. 
It may also be discovered by the heart-shorn spirit, not producing a brisk effervescence when mixed with muratic or nitric acid. Magnesia usually contains a portion of lime, originating from hard water being used instead of soft, and in the preparation of this medicine. To ascertain the purity of magnesia, add to a portion of it a little sulfuric acid, and diluted with ten times its bulk of water. If the magnesia be completely soluble, and the solution remains transparent, it may be pronounced pure, but not otherwise. Or dissolve a portion of the magnesia in muratic acid, and add a solution of subcarbonate of ammonia. If any lime be present, it will form a precipitate, whereas pure magnesia will remain in solution. Calcined magnesia is seldom met with in a pure state. It may be assayed by the same tests as the common magnesia. It ought not to effervescence at all with dilute sulfuric acid, and if the magnesia and acid be put together into one scale of a balance, no diminution of weight should ensue on mixing them together. Calcined magnesia, however, is very seldom so pure as to be totally dissolved by a diluted sulfuric acid, for a small insoluble residue generally remains, consisting chiefly of siliceous earth, derived from the alkali employed in the preparation of it. The solution in sulfuric acid, when largely diluted, or not to afford any precipitation by the addition of oxalates of ammonia. The genuineness of colomal may be ascertained by boiling for a few minutes, one part with one part of muriate of ammonia in ten parts of distilled water. When carbonate of potash is added to the filtered solution, no precipitation will ensue, if the colomal be pure. Indeed, some of the most common and cheap drugs do not escape the adulterating hand of the unprincipled druggist. Syrup of buckthorn, for example, instead of being prepared from the juice of buckthorn berries, is made from the fruit of the blackberry bearing alder and the dogberry tree. A mixture of the berries of the buckthorn and blackberry bearing alder and of the dogberry tree may be seen publicly exposed for sale by some of the vendors of medicinal herbs. This abuse may be discovered by opening the berries. Those of buckthorn have almost always four seeds, of the alder two, and of the dogberry only one. Buckthorn berries bruised on white pepper stain it of a green colour, which the others do not. A great many of the essential oils obtained from the more expensive spices are frequently so much adulterated. 
that it is not easy to meet with such as those that are all fit for use, nor are these adulterations easily discoverable. The grosser abuses indeed may be readily detected. Thus, if the oil be adulterated with alcohol, it will turn milky on the addition of water. If with expressed oils, alcohol will dissolve the volatile and leave the other behind. If with oil of turpentine, on dipping a piece of paper in the mixture and drying it with a gentle heat, the turpentine will be betrayed by its smell. The more subtle artists, however, have contrived other methods of sophistication which elude all trials. And as all volatile oils agree in the general properties of solubility in spirit of wine and volatility in the heat of boiling water, it is plain that they may be variously mixed with each other, or the dearer sophisticated with the cheaper, without any possibility of discovering the abuse by any of the before-mentioned trials. Perfumers assert that the smell and taste are the only certain tests of which the nature of the one thing will admit. For example, if a bark should have in every aspect the appearance of good cinnamon, and should be proved indisputably to be the genuine bark of the cinnamon tree, yet if it wants the cinnamon flavour, or has it but in a low degree, we reject it. And the case is the same with the essential oil of cinnamon. It is only from use and habits or comparisons with specimens of known quality that we can judge of the goodness either of the drugs themselves or of their oils. Most of the arrowroot, the fecula of the Maranta oridinacea, sold by druggists, is a mixture of potato starch and arrowroot. The same systems of adulteration extend to articles used in various trades and manufactures. For instance, linen tape and various other household commodities of that kind, instead of being manufactured of linen thread only, are made up of linen and cotton. Colours for painting not only those used by artists such as ultramarine, carmine and lake, Antwerp blue, chrome yellow and Indian ink, but also the coarser colours used by the common house painter are more or less adulterated. Thus, of the latter kind, white lead is mixed with carbonate and sulphate or barters, vermilion with red lead. Soap used in housekeeping is frequently adulterated with a considerable portion of fine white clay, brought from St. Stephen's in Cornwall. In the manufacture of printing paper, a large quantity of plaster of Paris is added to the paper stuff to increase the weight of the manufactured article the salvage of cloth is often dyed with a permanent colour and artfully stitched to the edge of cloth dyed with a fugitive dye. 
the frauds committed in the tanning of skins and in the manufacture of cutlery and jewellery exceeded belief. The object of all unprincipled modern manufacturers seems to be the sparing of their time and labour as much as possible and to increase the quantity of the articles they produce without much regard to their quality. The ingenuity and perseverance of self-interest is proof against prohibitions and contrives to elude the vigilance of the most active government. The eager and insatiable thirst for gain, which seems to be a leading characteristic of the times, calls into action every human faculty and gives an irresistible impulse to the power of invention. Water is also a key consideration involved in foods. It requires not much reflection to become convinced that the waters which issue from the recesses of the earth and form springs, wells, rivers or lakes often materially differ from each other in their tastes and other obvious properties. There are few people who have not observed a difference in the waters used for domestic purposes and in the arts, and the distinction of hard and soft water are familiar to everybody. Water perfectly pure is scarcely ever met with in nature. It must also be obvious that the health and comfort of families and the convenience of domestic life are materially affected by the supply of good and wholesome water. Hence, a knowledge of the quality of the different kinds of waters employed in the common concerns of life, on account of the abundant daily use we make of them in the preparation of food, is unquestionably an object of considerable importance and demands our attention. The effects produced by the foreign matters which water may contain are more considerable and of greater importance than might at first be imagined. It cannot be denied that such waters as are hard, loaded with earthy matter, have a decided effect upon some important functions of the human body. They increase the distressing symptoms under which those persons labour who are afflicted with what is commonly called gravel complaints, and many other ailments might be named, that are always aggravated by the use of waters abounding in saline and earthy substances. The purity of the waters employed in some of the arts and manufactures is an object of not less consequence in the process of brewing malt liquors. Some water is preferable to hard. Every brewer knows that the largest possible quantity of the extractive matter of malt is obtained in the least possible time and at the smallest cost by means of soft water. In the art of the dyer, Hard water not only opposes the solution of several dyestuffs, but it also alters the natural tints of some delicate colours, whilst in others again 
it precipitates the earthy and saline matters with which it is impregnated into the delicate fibres of the stuff and thus impedes the softness and brilliancy of the dye. The bleacher cannot use with advantage waters impregnated with earthy salts and a minute portion of iron imparts to the cloth a yellowish hue. To the manufacturer of painter's colours, water as pure as possible is absolutely essential for the successful preparation of several delicate pigments, carmine, madder lake, ultramarine and Indian yellow, cannot be prepared without perfectly pure water. In the culinary arts, the effects of water more or less pure are likewise obvious. Good and pure water softens the fibres of animal and vegetable matters more readily than such as is called hard. Every cook knows that dry or ripe peas and other farinaceous seeds cannot readily be boiled soft in hard water because the farina of the seed is not perfectly soluble in water loaded with earthy salts. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this story, and I also hope that it was boring enough to help you fall asleep. Until next time, good night.